Good morning. morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I want to start off, uh, I I whispered back uh, in my seat uh, earlier as Clint was going through reading scripture and leading the songs. I said, I don't think I need to preach today. Um, You know, we talked about in our Bible class this morning about worship uh, and our singing and that our singing is to be done in a manner that is to teach, to admonish, and I can't think of a better way that that is done than what has been done this morning. So thank you, Clint, for mixing it up a little bit. Um, it's, always, uh, it's always good to hear the Lord's Word read and preached, um, especially when it coincides with the songs that we're singing as well. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy, um, and I'm sorry that I broke the, broke the mold of our reading uh, and made you read six chapters this week. Uh, instead of the regular five, but I figured, hey, why do we need to split off the sixth chapter of First Tim- Timothy into all of Second Timothy? So we'll just do Second Timothy next week. Um, if you haven't already turned over, turn over to First Timothy chapter three. Um, this is Paul, as you can see in the title. This this is Paul's first letter uh, to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. Now, this letter covers many things, and in fact, I've done an entire sermon series over the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and we did those on Sunday evenings. So it was kind of difficult for me to go through this and say, hmm, where is something that I haven't preached already? Because I've literally preached through the entire books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. So for some, this may be a little bit of review, but it's been probably a year or more since we've uh, talked about 1 Timothy. But Timothy's, or this letter that Paul writes to Timothy, uh, it covers a lot of things, but it's typically centered around, as Paul said, as we just heard read, uh, how we ought to behave in the household of God. There are a lot of things in the book of 1 Timothy, including the qualifications of elders, the qualifications of deacons. Um, Paul's charge to Timothy to appoint elders. Um, A lot of people, I think today, uh, forget that it was Timothy's job, it was the preacher's job to appoint the elders in the church. As today, several churches kind of do it a little bit differently, and it's up to usually the eldership on how that's run, because they have the authority, right? Um, But when elders were first established, it was the preacher, Timothy, who was charged by Paul to do so. Uh, We also have uh, other things in here, and one of those things that we're going to look at specifically today um, is godliness. And if you've got a bulletin note, our bulletin note is on godliness as well, and what Uh, Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 6 regarding godliness. Um, But Paul calls the church the household of God. He calls it the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, the church supports the truth. It supports the truth that has been revealed by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And that truth is described by Paul as the mystery of godliness, he says in verse 16. He describes the mystery as great, and from the context of the scriptures, it appears that Paul is trying to inspire us to have uh, proper conduct by referencing this mystery, by remembering this mystery. So what is this great mystery of godliness? I hope this morning, as we go through this, uh, that we can come to an understanding of what this mystery is, so that perhaps in our understanding, we too will be inspired to proper conduct as members of the household of God. And when I say that, I don't mean proper conduct when we are in the church building, because that's not the household of God. The church is the people. The church, ecclesia, is the called out, 
right? It is those who have been called out through their repentance and baptism and obedience to the gospel. That is the church. It's not a building, but it is a people. So two points this morning to guide our lesson. First, I want to look at verse 16 a little bit closer and look at uh, the word mystery. Um, In English terms, you may think of this word, especially as we're getting closer to Halloween or or maybe as we're thinking about and, and seeing TV shows that are mysteries or maybe you read mystery novels, right? The word mystery... Uh, it reflects withholding of, of knowledge, right? A good mystery novel withholds the ending. A good TV show that is supposed to be a mystery withholds what's going to happen. And Sarah hates this about me, but I can always tell what's going to happen. And I usually say it about 15 minutes before it actually happens and completely ruin the show. Sorry, maybe writers need to do better. But... That's, that's what we think of, right? We don't have all the clues to the mystery, so we don't know how it can end. How many of you have seen Scooby-Doo? I, I, Dale has, I know, he has ties, right? <laughs> Scooby-Doo is a mystery show, right? They, they drive around in the mystery machine because it's a mystery what happens in that machine. I mean, just, right? But it's a, it is a show that is based around mystery. But you always know that it's probably the first guy that you see when they arrive at this area, that this something is haunting it, right? It's always some guy dressed up as a ghoul. That's not the mystery that we're talking about. The gospel isn't that way. We have all the clues to how it's going to end. We know because it's been revealed to us. See, God hasn't withheld the clues or the facts. See, the word mystery in the Greek is mysterion. And Vine's dictionary describes the word, at least in the New Testament, as noting not the mysterious, like the English word does, but the things that are outside the range of unassisted natural understanding or grasp. Like God's grace. We can't fully comprehend that. We may be able to put it into easily consumable words, but we can never fully understand the scope of God's grace. One day we will. Um, It is something that can only be made known by divine revelation. And it is made known in a manner that, uh, well, and and at a time, really, appointed by God. And it is made known to those only who are filled by His Spirit according to His will. So the mystery that's being talked about here is something that once had been hidden, but is now known by divine revelation. So what once was hidden has now been made known through the apostles and the prophets. And Christ's fulfillment of the prophecies also has revealed the truth. It's something that could not be discovered by human wisdom alone. If you want, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 real quick. Keep your finger here in 1 Timothy. We'll come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 7. And listen to how Paul describes this truth. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And Paul goes on down in verse 14 and following, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, it takes spirit-filled and spirit-led men to reveal the mystery. And that's who the apostles were. They were spirit-filled and spirit-led men. Paul, of course, was one of them. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul goes on to talk about this a little bit further. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he says, For the reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now let me stop just there for a moment. We have to remember who Paul was at one point. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a persecutor of the church because he didn't understand the mystery of the gospel. But the mystery was revealed to him on the road to Damascus. The mystery was revealed to him as Christ appeared to him and ministered to him in his life. As he received the gift of the Holy Spirit, he received the Spirit and was led by the Spirit to teach and preach to the Gentiles. Paul couldn't have come to that knowledge on his own. Nor would he have because of his pride, had it not been for the intervention of Christ, so far as we know. We could talk about hypotheticals. Well, what if Paul came into contact with a really good preacher at some point? I heard an argument on the Gospel Preacher Board uh, earlier this week um, that Paul is second to Jesus as the prince of all preachers. And I was like, well, that's people, people were trying to compare themselves to Paul. Or, or saying, you know, you know, we need to preach like Paul does. But there's no way anyone could ever preach like Paul because Paul had miraculous powers, right? Paul had the gift of the Spirit. He, had, he was led by the Spirit. He was providing revelation from the Spirit, something that we only have today in his written words, in the words of the Spirit that are written down in the Bible. So it's apples and oranges, really. But that mystery has been written down in God's Word so that we may now understand it. And it's not just the responsibility of the preacher to stand up here and reveal those things to you. It's also our responsibilities each and individually as Christians to read God's Word and learn the mystery and understand the mystery and come to our own understanding because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. It wasn't revealed just for the apostles and the Jews. But as Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 3, it's for the Gentiles as well. 
so they might also become fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Remember, we talked about that when we read through Ephesians. It has been made known for the benefit of the whole world, all nations, as Paul describes in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. And while it has been revealed, it sometimes is beyond our ability as humans to put it into words or, or even fully comprehend the depth of it. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 34, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? There are spiritual truths that God has revealed so that we might know, even though some may challenge our understanding. I can think of several of them. One of them that raises to the top of the list is Jesus' teaching about hating father and mother in in order to love and serve God. Something we talked about in Bible class this morning. Our worship, not having instruments in worship. That may be something that challenges our understanding. It may challenge the traditions that we had held to or been raised in for some. But there are spiritual truths that we find in the inspired word that guide us. So Paul's teaching to Timothy is that the mystery that has been revealed pertains to godliness. So for the second point of our lesson this morning, I want to focus on the greatness of godliness. The word godliness, well, let's go to the Greek again. The word godliness in the Greek is eusebia. Say that five times fast. Don't. Uh, Eusebia means reverence, respect, or piety toward God. And the term used here within the context of the gospel uh, teaches that godliness, respect towards God, humility, all of that centers around the coming of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to break down each of the things that are listed here in verse 16 so we can understand more fully this great mystery of godliness. First, Paul says, Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. He was manifested in the flesh. The opening of the book of John proclaims this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That was verse 1. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you look at that whole section of Scripture, it says that the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it says the word became flesh. And then the the phrase Son from the Father, the only Son from the Father, explains who Jesus is, but it's describing the Word. Jesus is the Word, and He is the Word that was mentioned in verse 1, who was in the beginning, and He was with God, and He is God. This is one of those truths that cannot be understood in human, in human mind without the revelation that we have from God to teach these things. 
without Christ's life, without his ministry, without the fulfillment of the prophecies that he did, and having those documented for us by the inspiration of the Spirit, we would not know those things. This truth that God would manifest himself in the flesh was foretold in Isaiah's prophecies. The name Emmanuel, that in and of itself is the prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. This is part of the good news. That the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh, in this God was working to reconcile himself back to man. Or man back to himself, rather. Jesus, who was manifested in the flesh, was vindicated, or some translations may have justified by the Spirit. How? Well, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God by the work of the Spirit. If you think back to the life of Christ, as we've been studying on Wednesdays and Sundays for I don't even know how long, we've been studying it for a while now, but when Jesus was baptized, what happened? The Spirit of God descended from heaven and landed upon Him. And it was witnessed by those around him. It was recorded, of course, by the apostles. But John the Baptist himself testified to it in John chapter 1, verses 32 through 33. Jesus cast out demons by the Spirit. And his miraculous workings were done by the Spirit. And the Spirit continued to bear witness to Jesus through the signs and wonders that the apostles performed. Now, some translations that I mentioned may have justified in the Spirit, which is also accurate. That's an, also, that's an accurate um, translation of this word. Vindication and justified are pretty similar. Uh, this is looked at as a complementary contrast of in the flesh. All right? In the, uh, that's what we just saw in the previous verse. He was manifested in the flesh, but he was justified in the Spirit. So he was both man and deity. And his divinity is seen in his words. It's seen in his actions. It's seen in his works. But also by his father's testimony at, at, uh, at both Jesus' baptism and on the mountain uh, during the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. In both cases, God proclaims, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God himself justified him. Ultimately, of course, his resurrection by the power of the Spirit declared without a doubt that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, and that he did exactly what he said he would do. That, he would, that man would tear down the temple and he would rebuild it in three days. This man, Jesus, the deity, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, and is seen by angels. We're not talking angels in the outfield. Angels who previously marveled at what was to come and rejoiced when he was born. The angels that ministered to him after he was tempted by the devil and again when he was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then as Christ left this world, the angels accompanied him and they will accompany him on his return. The gospel message... The mystery of godliness, this Jesus, flesh and spirit, seen by angels, is and should continue to be proclaimed among the nations. Or as Dale's version said, preached 
among the nations. Preached among the Gentiles, I think another translation has. Before Jesus left this earth, remember, He gave His disciples a job description. He gave them marching orders. And this is not just marching orders for those that were present at the time, but they were recorded by the Spirit to be heeded by all His disciples. This is the Great Commission to go into all the world, making new disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. Christ commands. I don't like using past tense when it comes to Jesus' words. Peter fulfilled this command with the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And it was ultimately the ministry of focus that Jesus gave to Paul and what he now teaches to Timothy and now us through God's inspired word. Because we're all Gentiles. Or were at one point. Well, some of us were Jews. At least one of us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-11 through 11 details this a little bit more. And of course, we're going to read more of 2 Timothy as our reading for this week. Um, but Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. You see, this is a very important element of the revealed mystery. This great mystery of godliness, that all the world, Jews and Gentiles alike, have the same access to become fellow heirs and partakers of the promise. Paul found it to be a great blessing to preach to the Gentiles. And you may remember some issues arising within the church early on for those who did not find it to be acceptable to preach to Gentiles or even eat with Gentiles. But Paul found it to be a great blessing. And we should all find it to be a great blessing to have the opportunity to share the gospel with the world today. This is a dark and unbelieving world. But the next section says Jesus was believed on in the world. You see, we have great freedoms in this country. We have the freedom of speech. We have the freedom to assemble. We have the freedom of of religion. To have a faith and to practice it freely without being persecuted. Other countries aren't so lucky. And there are missionaries, as I spoke on a few weeks ago on our Sunday evening, there are missionaries struggling all over the world to get the gospel. There are people that are risking their lives to smuggle Bibles into countries where it is outlawed. It is a dark and unbelieving world. We are blessed to live in a country in which we have freedom to proclaim the gospel. Now, not all believed back in the day of the Bible, and not all believed today, obviously. But many did, and many still do. John chapter 1, verse 11 says that some of his own people, the Jews, did not receive him, but those who did have the right to become children of God. And many of his people did believe in him. It may have taken his death, burial, and resurrection in the Holy Spirit's work through the apostles to bring it about, but they still believed. 
Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42. You may not even have to turn there. You probably have this memorized. Throughout the early portions of Acts, we see this taking place. It even took Christ appearing to a persecuting Jew named Saul to get him to believe. And where some Jews did not believe, many Gentiles did. On the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 souls repented and were baptized that day and added to the church because the mystery of the gospel was revealed. So why is it such a great thing that Jesus was believed on in the world? As Paul described it to the Corinthians in his first letter to them, chapter 1, verse 18, says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And then a few verses later, Paul says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But in light of all of that, there were still many who believed on him in the world. And that's great news. That's not just good news. That's great news. It's even greater because it's still happening today. And it can continue so long as we're doing the work that we've been given. Our Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, proclaimed amongst the nations, and believed on in the world, was, whoops, oh man, was taken up in glory. We'll get there. Whoa. There we go. Technology is so much fun. So he was taken up in glory. Uh, Other versions may have that he was received up in glory. But his ascension uh, was foretold in prophecy. They spoke of the glories that would follow his suffering. Daniel's vision in... uh, Daniel 7, verse uh, 13 through 14, tells of the glorious ascension back to heaven, where he was greeted and given dominion. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he, became, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. That was written and spoken by Daniel in the Old Testament, and we see all of that fulfilled in Christ and in the New Testament. This mystery of godliness does not end with Christ being taken up in glory, because we now live in Christ's kingdom. We are now a part of Christ's kingdom because we are a part of His church. The church and kingdom are often interchanged throughout the New Testament. It is everlasting and it will not pass away. Because even though He was taken up in glory, He's going to return one day. And He's going to return in glory. Jesus Himself said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. And what's even better is that we shall appear with Him in glory as well. 
Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, "...having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead." And a few verses later, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul declares, "...if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God." When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. That's our hope, church. So the question that we should be considering this morning, first of all, have you been raised with Christ in baptism? Have you confessed the great mystery of godliness? This Great mystery that has been revealed through God's word. And from beginning to end, the mystery of godliness is great. It is perfect because it's been there from the beginning. Before the world was ever created, this mystery existed. And it has been revealed to us through God's word. For God took it upon himself to intervene into the world, into a world of sinful men to bring grace to those who would believe and be baptized, to be united with Christ the man and deity who reconciled us to God the Father through His blood. I hope the great mystery will motivate us all to properly conduct ourselves in this dark world as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom that we now are a part of, members of the household of God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. We are to support truth. We are to exemplify truth. We are to be the light of the world. Let us proclaim this mystery with love and expediency. We're about to sing a song. And as Clint has done throughout, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. You want to know what godliness is. You want to talk about living a life exemplified as a Christian. The name that we wear as Christians has the word Christ in it. We are to be a reflection of Christ. He is our example. Paul is an example. And as Paul, Paul or I'm sorry, John writes, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. That is godliness. Laying down your life in this that we know love, that one should lay down his life for another. And we know love. We have come to know it because Jesus laid down His life for us. As Jeff mentioned at the table this morning, the reason we gather this morning is not for the lesson, but it is to remember Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The lesson's just icing on the cake. I'm just kidding. But we gather to remember Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and we do so in the Lord's Supper because He laid down His life for us even though we were His enemies, even though we were sinners and separated from God, through God's mercy and love, which is mysterious beyond belief. We can never fathom that. One day we will. One day we will understand it when we are in glory with Christ. We will understand that mercy fully. 
But right now in our human capacity, we cannot fully grasp why God loved us so much, even though we turn away from Him time and time again. Even though Israel turned their back on Him time and time again, He still preserved a remnant of Israel so that Christ could come forth and bring about salvation to the world. That is godliness. That is the great mystery of the gospel, that Christ is available for all. So if we can assist you this morning in any way, if you're here and you wish to become a child of God by being baptized for the remission of your sins, or if you have any other need, if you wish to be restored this morning, we are here to assist you with that through prayer, through study, or whatever means we have. If you have a need, please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing.